right. Thank you, everyone. Uh, good morning once again. If I happen to miss you earlier, my name is Wayne, the pastor here at Downtown Community. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this specific scam. It's called a quick change cash scam. If you've ever worked in a retail environment, maybe somebody educated you on this. But what happens is uh, someone comes into a store, any kind of environment, whatever, where they have a cash register, and then they buy something really tiny, just a couple of dollars. But they pay for it with like a huge bill, like a $100 bill. And then they're trained, and they're experts usually, and, and they, as you begin to make change, they cause a lot of confusion and say, no, you missed that. And, and, like, and, and for the cashier's perspective, everything makes sense, um, but they con you out of more money. So they end up getting back more money, and they usually don't have a clue until they reconcile the register at night, and everything is way off. And I was wondering, I actually encountered this. I worked at Starbucks a long time ago, and a guy I worked with, um, caught a guy trying to do that. He was aware of that, and I was like, whoa, it's the first time I ever heard of something like that happening. Well, I, I looked this up this week. I was curious, and it's still going on. In fact, last December, uh, there were two guys that hit a, a Walmart in Pennsylvania, and they, target, they usually target younger clerks, you know, kind of new to the job, a little more naive and not really thinking about this. And uh, these two guys, simultaneously in two different registers, uh, were able to collectively scam them out of $3,500. It's crazy, right? Like, I don't know how, like, that's like, anyway. Uh, and so, you know, this was put up in some kind of, I just, just looked up the article and I, and I laughed because... Uh, they put up like the getaway guy, like he's getting away and they put a picture so that we could go. This is a public picture and so we need to look out for this guy right here, okay? This is, the, this is it. Like it's crime watch. Uh, he got away quickly. So um, no joke and uh, you know, he, I, he, I don't know, you know, just looking like an older gentleman, like you would never think of that. Like it's a, I don't know. So there you go. It, do you ever said this phrase, like, I, it's amazing how much work people put into crime. Like, it's, what, it's amazing what people do for money, especially those who are deceitful. You ever had that thought? Like, man, if they just put that, maybe your parents said this, right? Like, man, if they just put that energy into a real job, imagine what they would do. But it's kind of always been like that. So hold on to that thought, because I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but the last couple of weeks, we've been engaging in a series, and today is the final message as, as part of this, this last three weeks. Um, and, and I've been engaging in a significant conversation that's really about your heart, but I've been talking about money specifically. But we started week one, and we, we've been going through parables of Jesus uh, as we've walked through the series. And so week one, we talked about the parable of the seed and, and the harvest. Jesus talked about the harvest. And he's planting seeds, and he's inviting us in to be part of the harvest, and there's joy. He says there's joy in planting, and there's joy in harvesting. And he's, he, what he was saying is, when you were part of his story, he's invited you in, and he is actively at work. And there's a joy in engaging with him. And so I shared the, a little bit of the vision of DCC, and I shared pictures of our past. We've been going strong now for over seven years, and there have been hundreds of people that have been part of this story over several years, and many have been here, lived in downtown, and, and have moved away, and all these different types of things have been happening, but they invested their time, their money, you know, their talents. People came before us before we even started and sacrificed and gave for, this to, for us to be here today. And you were invited to be part of us, to be with this church family as God has called us here to serve and give glory to God in this city. 
And as you invest, there's joy in that. There's a story that God's working in your life and in others. And last week we talked about uh, two different parables. One about the rich young ruler who wanted eternal life. But God knew, Jesus knew what had his, his heart, and it was his money. And he said, give that up and you can have it. And he, he, he knew he couldn't do it, and he walked away. And what Jesus was confronting was what had his heart. And we learn that Jesus gives warning. He doesn't condemn those who are rich, but he gives warning to say it can keep you from God. You need to be careful because money will have you. We also shared a parable of the rich fool who thought he had a ton of money. He had rich, fertile ground. And he was already rich, but he was, he was like, what do I do with all this stuff? He goes, I want to build bigger barns. I'm going to tear down and build bigger barns. And then he says this, then I'll have enough. Those are his words. Then I'll have enough, but that's the lie. In the story, God was like, you don't realize, but your life is going to end tonight. And then what will you do with all these things? He exposes the folly of, of how we try to accumulate things. And we believe the lie that if I just have this, if I push this further, then I'll have, and you fill in the blank. And what Jesus showed us was that actually leads us to anxiety and we're a world that's filled with worry and filled with anxiety. And he shows us that so many times it's because we are rich, we have so many things. And so Jesus gave us the recipe to seek first his kingdom. That's what he's made us to do. He says all these other things will fall into place. He's leading us away from worry. Jesus is engaging our heart and our mind. And so why talk about money? We do this throughout the year at different times, but we don't push giving to you. We, don't, we, don't, you know, we do this for different reasons, but we talk about it because it's emotional. And we're learning to engage both our heart and our mind. And our money is emotional. So I, you know, most of us, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you have, you have a giant portfolio, you've been trained in financial industry things and all these other things, you can... Have all that kind of training and still be bad with money. And I've seen it. I've seen it from everybody, from all across the board. It's because our emotions are involved. I can manage your money way better than I can manage mine. And so what we find is that Jesus actually taught about money. It's fascinating. He didn't despise the rich. A lot of people try to read into Jesus' teaching and think that's, that's what he was, his agenda was, but that's not true at all. God doesn't engage us about the amount of money we have, how big our bank account is or how small it is or our portfolio. God is always engaging our heart. And so he gave warnings to those who are rich, which, by the way, is all of us here today. You may not feel that way, but in the light of the entire world, we are so incredibly blessed. And so he's speaking to us. He says, you need to be careful. Watch out for all kinds of greed. He says, be careful. It can lead to your destruction. For us, our answer is ourselves, but that leads to anxiety. And Jesus is leading our hearts. He's leading our hearts. But we want to engage our minds as well. So today I'm going to transition from hearts to minds. To do that, I want to, I want to talk through and read through one more parable. And today I'm going to read through this parable, and then I'm just going to talk practically about what it means to give 
financially at DCC. You should know these things. If we ask you to give, we should actually talk about what it means to build trust. So if this is your first time here today, now this is a great day to be with us because you can learn more about who we are. But this is really about pointing you towards your heart. And these are things that you should think about personally. This impacts your personal life as well. But as a church family, I want to lead us towards what we're going to do in November. We started this a year ago. Where we, in November, we were engaging in a, in, a, in a time where we're called Be Rich. Now, we're not talking about being rich financially, but being rich in our hearts towards God and towards others. And so we did this last year, but I'm going to encourage you to make commitments to give to your local church family, to, to serve and to give to others. We're going to serve together as a church family, and we're going to set aside money to give to New City Kids, an amazing organization in Jersey City. Last year, we set a $5,000 goal and met that and went way beyond it. And it was really exciting to do that. And so we're going to do that in November. But to do that, I want you to think ahead of time. So just to let you know, I'm engaging you with that. So let's jump into this parable that Jesus is that we have. And this is found in Luke 16. We've been reading in Luke because Luke includes a lot of these parables where Jesus talks about money. But remember, he's engaging your heart. Now, this is a fascinating parable, really an illustration is what a parable is. It's an illustration to help us understand deep principles about our life. And so this is a fascinating one because it's so different than what you would ever think Jesus would do. Okay, here we go. So this is found in Luke 16. It says, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. All right, so this scenario is happening. He's calling him into his office, about to get the axe. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. All right, hopefully this is no flashbacks for you. You know, we've, we've all had maybe, not all, but if you've ever had that conversation, that's no fun. But anyway, so this is interesting. It's, the story turns. It says, the manager said to himself, if we're watching a TV show, the bubble goes up, right? What should I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Or he's prideful, anyway. I know what I'll, I know what I, I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. He has a plan. He's thinking. So, so he called in each one of his master's debtors. So he still had some, some weight here. He had some cards to play, so to speak. He asked the first, how much money do you owe my master? And the person says, 900 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot, by the way. Um, and so the manager told him, he says, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. So he slashes it in half. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. I have no idea how much that is. It sounds like a lot, okay? Um, he told him, take your bill and make it 800. He didn't give him half off anyway. Um, then the master commended. Okay, so he did all this, right? He starts cutting. He's gaining favor and creating opportunities for himself. And the master sees him do all this, all right? So the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Interesting, right? And then here's what Jesus begins to say. He begins to teach us out of this. He says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind then are the people of the light. This is, if you ever read this parable, it's kind of hard to interpret. 
But Jesus, this part's not too, too bad, but Jesus is saying, listen, people who are, don't believe in God and are just engaging in worldly matters, like they, they work hard at figuring this out. They are more shrewd than usually people who are religious, who believe in God and are pursuing him. And so then Jesus continues. He says, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources, the stuff that's your job and the things that you do, to benefit others and make friends. He's basically saying you need to begin to take the same mindset. You need to learn from the world around you. He's not saying be dishonest, by the way. <laughs> he says, then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. And it's really, really important, powerful words that Jesus is saying to us. Jesus is always connecting what happens, what we do in our life to eternity. He's directing our hearts. So Jesus does not commend the man's deceit. He pointedly calls him dishonest. Okay? So it's clear that this is wrong. But the illustration shows that even the most wicked sons of the world, so to speak, are shrewd enough to provide for themselves against coming evil. So he had cars to play. He had an out. He was thinking about it. And Jesus is saying, listen, as children of light... We should be just as intent and thoughtful about what we're doing. We should be better at being shrewd. It's a weird way to say that. Because we are investing in an eternal outcome. And so in every single one of these, these parables that we've been reading, Jesus is making it very clear. There's a path to destruction. Be careful. There's also a path to eternal life. So he's saying this to us. We've been learning this. So Matthew 19, 23. These are other words of Jesus in different places. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Rich people enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's hard. He's saying be careful. 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Have you heard that before? That's from Jesus. But he doesn't say money is the root of evil. Have you heard that? No, it's the love of money. It's all about our hearts. It's all about our intention, what is first in your life. Money is not the root of evil. The love of money is. All right. So, so some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. There's that anxiety and worry again. So why is this so important to face up to? Like You should think about this personally. Why is this so important? Because you were made for eternity. Jesus, see, we, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. His death and his resurrection proved it. It shows us that we are made for eternity. It's made for more than this earth. It's what you long for in your heart. Maybe some of you are here today because you've been, you've been trying to, to pursue that, that question inside of you. 
he shows us that there is a heaven and a hell. There is real consequence to the decisions that we make. It's why Jesus came, because he's the only one who could live a perfect life. And so we can, we can become forgiven and redeemed and restored only through him. And he shows us what we see. There's a consequence to selfishness. But he's like, it will lead you towards destruction. Be careful. Be careful. It's just leading us away. But <laughs> it also means that there's an incredible opportunity for an investment in the things that last. It also means that there is a, a, place, in, in, a, part, a place for us in our world to be part of his story. The things that don't exist, God is longing to breathe into. And he wants to use your life. That's his plan. That after his, his, after his resurrection, before he ascended back into heaven, he sent us out to be part of this story. And it's an incredible opportunity. And so at the end of this parable, Jesus is giving this great image. He's showing us that Christ followers are to use their master's money because we believe he's given it to us. He's gifted us with these abilities, this life, these passions that you have, all these, you know, the work life that you pursued, the degree that you got, all that. He's gifted us. He's given us. He says, we, we are called to use our master's money in a way that accrue friends for eternity. When we invest in his kingdom, that's how he called it, and we invest in a gospel that brings those out of, out of destruction, out of loneliness and worry and anxiety, out of death, and we lead them to Christ, we are making a home for them in heaven. So when we arrive, they're there to welcome us in. That's what he was saying. He says, then when your possessions are gone, your possessions are gone. They're going to end. Everything we're building, eventually it's, we don't get it anymore. You know, the Egyptians would bury the tombs. You know, they discover the tombs filled with treasures. The treasures are still there. And we don't take it with us, right? He says, when your possessions are gone, they will welcome, he says, you will welcome your, your friends will welcome you into an eternal home. And when we arrive, it's a welcoming party. Isn't that an incredible thought? I'll take that moment over anything else. Anything else. This is what Jesus is inviting us towards. Into his story one of life and fulfillment. Listen to these words to those who are around Jesus. This is two places in Ephesians. Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. In Ephesians 3.19, there's this prayer. It says, and he says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled, there's that word, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then Jesus himself, he says, this is found in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life 
and have it to the full. And this parable about the dishonest man and being shrewd, and he's encouraging us to be shrewd, here's what he, be, he said next. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And by the way, this is a great advice for anybody, anywhere. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And so we always like to look at uh, the greedy guys across the street, uh, across the river, excuse me. <laughs> it feels like it's across the street. At the top of the highway, I always talk about that. We always say, that's the greedy person. And Jesus is always showing us, no, greed exists whether you have a little or a lot. Just the more you have, the more that it exposes. If you're dishonest with a little, it'll be the same with a lot. So if you have not been trustworthy in handi- handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Uh-huh, there's that, I love that, true riches. True riches don't have anything to do with money. It says, and if you have not been trustworthy as someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's fascinating. And why is Jesus talking about this? So he can get money? No. If you're God, you don't need it. You don't need it. So why is he talking about this? Because he loves you. And he knows you how you were made he's engaging your heart and your mind and it's from our belief in who he is and our trust in him that our actions follow and this is with every part of our lives so like we find this in romans 10 10 it says for it is with your heart that you believe saying you believe in jesus and are justified you are made right in his eyes out of our belief in him And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Our belief leads to our profession of who he is in our lives. What comes from our heart leads to our actions. It's fascinating. Uh, this was brought to my attention in the last week or so. I, several years ago, I taught on the, the rich fool, the parable of the rich fool, who said, I want to build bigger barns, and then uh, they don't have enough, and... And uh, she was in our dinner group that week, and she said, this is me. Like, just reading that, Jesus' words spoke profoundly to her. She had grown up poor. Family didn't have a lot of money, and it was hard for them to get by. And then she began to, to engage in her working adult life, and she was afraid of that circumstance, it made a significant impact on her. She began to store up money and store up money, meaning to save, and she was fearful that she would never have enough. And that very week, her fear and anxiety, she, she could see it, that it had a hold on her, and the money led to that. And that week, she paid off all her debt. She was worried. She wanted to make sure she had enough to save And it, she just began to be be set free. She's like, I, I can trust God. And she paid off all her debt that week and began to make, just begin to trust God. 
financially, make different decisions, and walk away from that. It's incredible as we, we are learning in Jesus' words how transformational it can be. Now, some of you are like, wow, that's a lot of money. Say, like, you, you may not be able to do that, but many of us will never be out of debt until we learn to give because money has a hold in your heart, and it's probably one of the reasons why you are in debt. It's been proven. It's been proven. So Jesus is engaging us in this way. So, so then what does it look like to serve God and not serve money? So I just want to end on, on the practical teaching on financial giving. I kind of go through what God has said in the scriptures, what, he's, what he asked us to do, all right? And then I want to challenge you to take action. And I'll give you a heads up. You decide. You decide. So first, what is there a command? What are we commanded to do? Many of us have never even thought about this and whatever. So what are we commanded to do? Well, we have the Old Testament scriptures, and then Jesus comes, and he brings in a new covenant. We have the New Testament. And so there are things under the Old Covenant that were specifically commanded to the nation of Israel at the time. And Jesus was learning and showing them, you can trust me, and I will lead you to life. And so what does he show them? The Old Testament covenant was through three major things. One was the Sabbath. And this is all connected, our time, everything, our lives. A Sabbath is a one day of rest, and it was very strict. They had to stop work entirely. And he made it for them, and they got a little weird with it, but, but, but Sabbath is one day of rest, no work. And that was scary then because there was no refrigeration, okay? It's a lot different ballgame, and they learned to trust God. And then they are commanded to a tithe, which was 10% of their first fruits of everything that they made. Everything, they would, they would set aside 10% of it and give it to God. So they would live on 90%. So if it was crops or an exchange of money or, you know, whatever it was. And then there's the law of gleaning, which is you don't consume everything. You don't farm your entire field, which is the, the analogy used. You would leave stuff down. So for, the, so for those who were poor, people who were foreigners, who were traveling through, there was always something left over. And so if it was uh, something in our own world, you don't consume every job opportunity, every cell. There's people maybe underneath you in your company that gets, get some of that as well. We don't consume everything. And Jesus showed them, he's like, he's like, he promised them that when you leave things, God is actually working in that. And these are great promises. And you can live those out and experience Kind of how God made the world work. But you are not necessarily in the Old Testament, what we call covenant with God, to do this in the New Testament. But these are incredible principles. So Jesus came to fully fulfill that law in himself. We are justified by him alone. And so he gave his all. And for me, my response is, is to give him my everything. I'm not, I don't give 100%. That's not what I'm saying. But it's, it's my heart's attitude towards him. I die to myself out of his examples, less of, less of me and more of him. So it's out of the attitudes of our hearts that we engage these areas of our lives. So as Christ followers, that's what he's asked us to do. And so there are commands that Jesus has given us. So listen to this one. This is found in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so he's saying we love God. We have a vertical relationship. We love others. This is what he's called us to do. This is both outward-focused actions. And the more that we engage life that way, we are actually fulfilled inwardly. And so Jesus says, love God and love others. And we learn to live our lives in that way. And so we should have a plan, I believe, for giving to God and giving to others. Jesus was always showing us we should be intentional and have a plan. We want to be rich towards God, how Jesus put it. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 says this, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. So here's a commandment that we, we see in teaching in scriptures. You must, you must each decide in your heart, that's key, I, from, I actually messed it out, in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. That's not a good way to give. He says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, willingly. He says, and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This does not mean that you will get rich. You plant a lot of seeds, you get a generous crop. A lot of people love to find ways that they're going to get rich. I've been giving to God for years and years and years, and I'm not exceedingly wealthy. Now, I just said everybody in here is rich, so it's true. Um, but that's not what it means. It's not what it means. But God says he, is, he, he provides. And we decide. So what's, what do we do? Here's, I've said it like three times now, but you decide. When it comes to giving, you decide. And what I encourage when I've, I've been taught is to, to, to pick percentage giving. If you think, okay, you need to think about what you do. Usually how we give is we, we pay everything, we buy all the things for ourselves, and in the month, if I have a little bit left over, then I'll give that to God. It's kind of the opposite of what we want to do. But you want to think about it and do percentage giving. If you've, have you never gave before? That sounds incredibly hard. Well, start somewhere and then take steps from there. God wants the, you to learn how to trust him. You may need financial classes. We're partnering with our sister church in Hoboken to provide these. We're going to be starting financial classes in January. And you may find this fall that you need that. I highly, I think everybody should do it at least once, no matter where you're at in your journey. But I teach my kids this, and I follow these principles myself. I would never ask you to do anything that I don't do my own, but I teach my kids to save 10%. So we give them money to spend on themselves, but we teach them, and they're going to one day decide this for themselves, but they, they have a, we even do jars so they can visually see it. They have a jar to save 10%, and so if we give them $10, you know, we started young, we give them $10. It's really easy to do. We give them all ones, and then they save 20%, and, they, and then they have 70% to spend, which a little kid is like, great. You know, you have all, you know, but we, that, that's how we learn. We live on the rest. Some of you are like, I could never do that. Like 70% is not, you know, that's the challenge. But you would be, you'd be amazed at what God wants to do through our giving. So we start somewhere. 
So this is something I practice as well. So I've decided, what do I do? My wife and I together have decided we, we actually follow the principles in what we see in the Old Testament. Now, we don't have to do that, but we want to. That's what we've decided, and we've been doing this for years. So we give at least 10% of our income towards God and towards His church. But we also have percentage giving that we plan out for the year to give to other organizations. And our kids are a part of this. We sponsor a, a child in, a, in a, a, a country that doesn't have a lot of resources. Uh, we give to local organizations. And we give to another international organization that works towards justice. And it's so fun to give, to be able to do that. We, we didn't used to be able to do all these things because we were trying to get out of debt. And we didn't make a lot of money. And, I, and as God has provided for us with better resources, we've been able to do this. And it's so much fun to have a plan and to give in this way. And so to do that, we have a, we, my wife and I, we, we, we do a monthly budget together. And we actually do a yearly budget. Some of you are like, I, I don't have to know all these things, but it's important. I know when I begin the year how much money I'm going to give away, what we're going to spend our money on, and all these different things. We have a plan. It also has to do with our time. We learn to take time off. And we have a, a place in our week where we say, like pencils, set your pencils down, we're done working. And we try to rest together as a family. We've enjoyed these principles. When we live these principles out, we have greater stability and joy in our lives. I wish I could do more. I wish I could do more. But Erin has been teaching me. She's like, you can by teaching others to live this way. So you decide. You decide. It was interesting. I was in a conversation with a, a local businessman a uh, very prominent businessman in Jersey City a couple of years ago, and he, he is Jewish, and he's practicing. He goes to synagogue here in Jersey City, and he was like, he was, he, he's you know, financially minded, and he was fascinated. because how do you get support for your church? How does that work? He didn't know how it worked in, the, in a Christian church, and he began to explain what they do. He said that once a year, their church would gather together, and they would all bring their offerings, their gifts to God, all at once, one time a year. And I was like, man, that sounds awesome. Like, I went to worry about that, like, once, and then we just don't ever talk. Like, that's great. And, and, and so, you know, he talked about that, and there's a ceremony, and it's special. And I was like, wow, that's, that's fascinating. And he was like, well, what do you do? He asked me. I was like, well, we don't, we don't require anything. Our people decide, and they give. He's like, well, they do that? And, like, he's like, and I was like, well, it's kind of interesting, <laughs> And then the more I started answering, it made me really nervous. <laughs> I got a little stressed, you know, like compared. But, you know, but God has always provided. He's always provided. What's fascinating is in, in interacting with other churches here in the city, a lot of people just don't know how it happens. And I don't think people honestly respect the church a lot in this area of the country because they're typically known for just trying to do fundraisers to get money and selling ads and bulletins and other things like that. And, and I would love for us to be known differently, to be known to be generous, to be loving and impacting our community. And we are, we are, we are developing this. This is a prayer for our, our church to impact and love our city. That's my prayer. So the way we approach money is very different, and I want to quickly go through these things. We leave it to you and to God. 
But we know that other churches have abused this subject and have kind of pushed it on people and created a crisis, and you've got to do this. And, and when that's happened, a lot, a lot of times you, just, you leave that church. You, you, you won't stay there long term. So we don't talk about it and push it. And that removes a barrier. And we tend to swing more the other way. I don't want to push it too much. And, and, and so this causes a couple of interesting scenarios. One is it removes the barrier, which is great, and you want to be part of a church like that. But then the other is you don't think we really need the money. You walk in, and we're in this great space, and, and the, there's, there's lights on, there's sound, there's production. And we're, people are watching online like now. We have cords run all over the place. We have kids stuff happening. And just like if you, if you say, everybody's got this. People are, are good. And so you don't really give. And so it's a tough situation to be on. So, so we want to say you should give. We are completely supported by, only by your giving. So if you're a Christ follower, you should give. It should be a natural response. If you're not a Christ follower, there's no requirement for you. But does this impact you in a positive way? You, you know, your giving can impact you and others around you in this community. But the practical side of this is we only exist by people giving. That's how we're here today. That's just, I don't know if you've never, if you've, maybe you, some of you have never thought about this. Some of you, it's really new to think about giving to a church, or you just have a negative view of that. And so... You know, just practically, that, that's how we're here today. And it's, such a, it's incredible uh, to, to be part of that. And we currently are only because of those who give. There's no outside organizations for us. So you should know that we don't just blindly ask you to give. It's incredibly honoring and humbling to be with you in this. But we don't blindly. Our requirement is to be good stewards of your money, and we are very committed to that. So if I'm going to ask you to give, you should know that we take that seriously. That trust should be built with you. So we set a yearly budget as a church. Our members approve that. That just happened. Our members voted on that. And we don't only vote one thing a year, and that's it. We're legally required to. But I love that process. So they approved this, and that just happened this week. And so if you give more, we have a plan. We have to follow that way. We have to go back to them. If we're going to go outside of that or increase or whatever, we have to have them be part of that. That's great. That's build trust. We have trustees. These trustees help set my salary and manage our budget, and they review that monthly. You give more, I don't get to say, hey, I get more money. That doesn't happen that way. We have a great process for that to happen. We have strict procedures around how we collect and handle money. Take it very seriously. We pay a professional accountant to weekly keep a track of our books. Every dollar we spend and deposit that is made is matched and accounted for with receipts. Every one. We go above and beyond. Our very first accountant, who was amazing, she moved to North Carolina. She was like, you operate better than most of the other businesses that I help. I love that. So our giving now, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to put these stats up. I'm going to fly through them. Um, I quickly put this together on Thursday on Canva, so here we go. This is going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> 150 plus people. This is in the last six months of DCC. I've never shared statistics like this before, by the way, but I just want to invite us all in to be part of this conversation. Um, we have 150 plus adults actively engaged with us right now. It says the last six months, but that's really right now in our church family. It may be, it may be a lot more than that. It's hard to know between online and just how everything happens, uh, but it's around that. And that's been about the average. So about 50% of us have given at least one time out of that, that many people over the last six months. So that sounds great. 50% is actually a huge number. The average church in America, Christian church in America, gives 20% give. 
to significantly impact their, their church budgets. That's a really, it's really sad. But 20%, we've always been around 30-ish. So at first, you're like 50%, but let's, let's, when we look into this, it's actually, we'll go to the next slide, 85 of our current attendees have impacted, we've given around $150,000 over the last six months. 85% of our current attendees have actually given that. 15% of our giving right now is from people who used to attend here or are outside of DCC that, that love this church family. And so there are people that continue to give. That's always been the case with us. But we wouldn't, I don't think we would make our budget without that. And that's how God provides. It's incredible. But I want us to know this. So what that means, when we, when we go to the next slide here, when we really look into it d- deeper, 20% of our people right now actually are giving 92% of all of our budget. Of all the money we receive, 20% of us and 5% of those, I call them alumni, it's a weird phrase for a church, um, cover 92% of the giving. And so what we look at, when you take out our, our alumni, <laughs> 60% of those who are with us right now have never given. That's the next slide. 60% of us have actually never given. Now, everybody here today, like, obviously through the numbers, you're not that 60%, right? So that's great. That's everybody who's not here today. <laughs> no. But there's such a great opportunity. And why say this? Well, I'm not creating a crisis. I'm just letting you know. Some of you, until they've never thought about this, that's completely normal. You just never thought. Or you're busy and you just haven't taken the time. I just want to say, you'll never regret giving to a church that is centered on the gospel of Christ. The truth is, we're under budget. We can put this next slide up, and then we'll pray soon. But last, coming out of the pandemic, we hit $220,000 budget, and our expenses were way lower, so that helped. And then last year, we, we grew to $275,000. That was such a gift to see that happen. And this year, we just planned a $310,000 budget. But honestly, we need to be at least at $350,000 to engage downtown. Our rent is high, and, and, and salaries are not where they should be, all this other stuff. At my goal, our first step is to be at this this uh, ministry minimum, a healthy budget, I believe, we need to be at 450000 I believe, and this next slide shows this, that if 50% of us gave 4%, we would immediately be there. And what happens is, when we begin to fund at this level, we add staff, we begin to fully fund ministry, we leave things on the table, we begin to engage our city in a much different way. We love better with one another. But then we also know that you are impacted. A couple of things to know. I just want you to know this. I just want you to know this. Um, if you, ne- if you don't, never sit down and come up with a plan, I want you to know that I'll continue to be prepared. We'll continue to create incredible kid spaces that they cannot wait to attend. We're going to continue to impact our community and love it and serve it. We're going to do all we can to ensure this is a welcoming place for you. We will continue to serve you regardless of your giving. That's not how we operate. We've always been this way. We will lead by example from our leaders. And Why do we do this? Because the church is the hope of the world. It carries the message that revolutionizes lives.
you are invited into this. I want you to think about this over the next several weeks. And in November, think about how you can commit to, to love your church family, to love your God, and how we can love others. We want to be rich in our community and loving them. But more importantly, how is your heart? Are you anxious? Are you worried? I want to lead you back to Jesus' words. Because God doesn't need your money. He will provide for us, and if we need to, we'll go out to outside organizations, and we actually are pursuing that this year. Because I want to take the, that pressure off. But God is seeking your heart. How is your heart? DCC, I love you and care about you. You are invited to engage him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this words that you've given us, and thank you for everyone here today. I pray that you be glorified through our lives. I pray that we would love this city well in every way, how we serve, how we live our lives, how we work, how we raise our families, the joy of going out to dinner, all these things, that we would love well. We thank you for the joy that we have to engage this. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.